Dear friends in Christ, a word from Psalm 80. Uh, We sang a version of that this morning. I'm going to give you all 19 verses. For the choir director, to Lilies, a testimony by Asaph, a song. O shepherd of Israel, give ear. You who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are seated above the cherubim, shine forth. Before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh, stir up your might. Come with salvation for us. God, restore us and make your face shine so we will be saved. Lord God of armies, how long will your anger smoke against the prayer of your people? You might say fume against the prayer of your people. You make them eat bread with tears and you make them drink tears by the court. You create strife between us and our neighbors so our enemies join together in mocking us. God of armies, restore us and make your face shine so we will be saved. You brought a vine out of, from Egypt. You drove out the nations and you planted it. You cleared a place for it and it took root and filled the land. The mountains were covered by its shade. The cedars of God with its branches. It sent out its boughs to the sea. It shoots as far as the river. Why have you broken down its walls so that all who pass by pick its fruit? A wild boar from the forest tears it up and the wild animals feed on it. God of armies, return now. Look down from heaven and see and take care of this vine, the shoot that your right hand has planted, the sun that you made strong for yourself. It is burned with fire like garbage. Because of the rebuke from your face, they perish. Let your hand rest on the man at your right hand, on the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. Then we will not turn away from you. Cause us to live and we will call on your name. Lord God of armies, restore us and make your face shine so we will be saved, that we may be saved. The word of God. Dear fellow Christians, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the sevenfold spirit before the throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Amen. He does have the whole world in his hands, you know. The Lord God, our Savior, he does have you in his hands. In this psalm, especially, He has his vineyard that he tends and cares for in his hands. Because that's what a vineyard needs. It needs tending. I don't know about you, but yesterday I saw a lot of people mowing their lawns. And um, a lot of people with yards, with lawns about as big as mine on riding mowers, which I thought was impressive. Because I have to use both hands to mow my lawn. I've ruined mowers with both hands, but most summers I don't do that. I actually take care of my lawn mowers. There was the summer, what, two or three years ago when I broke four mowers, including my generous neighbors. That was not a great summer for my lawn mowers and for the work of my two hands. Because you see, my two hands, they fail. And now, the mower that I like to use Um, My neighbor actually fixed it up and and gave it to me when they moved, which was 
incredibly generous. He could have stopped being my friend entirely after the fateful summer of broken mowers. But this one doesn't even have a self-propeller, so I use both of my hands, and I try. But there's only two hands that can really grow and tend any kind of real meaningful spiritual agriculture. And those are the two hands of Jesus Christ, the two hands of the God who loves us enough to save us and rescue us out of sin. And you've noticed in his parable and in the psalm, this was a common Old Testament theme, to have a vineyard and that God has planted his vineyard and that the nation of God's choosing was that vineyard and through that vineyard would come a vine that would rescue. But before that great ultimate king, that great ultimate vine, the vineyard was a shambles. And it seemed like God was only using his one hand. This is not a hit against left-handers, by the way, but I think it'll help us kind of drive the thought and, and get into the meaning of the psalm here. God's left hand was judgment, justice, discipline. And that's the hand that seemed to be shining through, to be cutting things down and, and destroying things in the psalm. His right hand was restoring, was giving life, was blessing and, and building up. And it sure seemed to the people of God's choosing, the Hebrews in the southern kingdom of Old Testament Judah, that God wasn't really using his right hand anymore. It was just his left hand of justice and judgment. Maybe you know the feeling. So in Psalm 80, they were asking, Lord, tend to your vineyard with both hands. When are you going to tend to your vineyard with not just your left hand, but your right hand? And um, when we think about God's left hand, we can go into that history of Israel. We can consider what had happened and what had driven God to use primarily that left hand of discipline and justice on his own people. And it was because they wandered from his commands. Kings were supposed to be studying and in the word. They weren't supposed to be doing the priestly work of sacrificing, but they were supposed to promote the truth of God's love for his people and, and the sanctity of, of Canaan, the promised land, and, and to continue them not in idolatry of the peoples who surrounded them, but on the straight and narrow of worshiping the one and only true God, of setting God's moral law before them and using the civil and ceremonial law in order to supply that, keep a hedge between them and the nations that would bring in idolatry and false gods, and be a shadow for the Christ, the true vine that was to come. So what happened? Well, from the time of Solomon, the kingdom divided, and there were kings, especially in the north, who wandered off and did evil, and along with them, they dragged the kings of the south. They did things like just kind of anoint priests from any and, and every tribe instead of just the tribe of Levi, which to you and me wouldn't, wouldn't seem so bad, but it wasn't according to God's prescribed laws and the specialness of his grace back in those days, what he intended to teach them. The king himself offered sacrifices, and it wasn't at the temple. It was at two golden calves in the north and in the south, in Bethel and in Dan, so it was very open idolatry, and they brought in the Baals and the other Canaanite gods. Sure enough, that was part of 
what God meant to do was secure them from those idols, but what did they do? They followed those other gods and tried to mix Baal with Jehovah, with the true God. They also worshipped the starry host and, and adored what was up in the skies. And along with all those things, they trashed the name of God by making him into who he is not. And so practicing sorcery and divination and all these, these other idolatrous things, it warranted God's left hand. He brought his left hand down hard, not after just a short period of time, but, but generations where he invited them to change and sent prophets to bring that message till finally Assyria came through and destroyed the northern kingdom, scattered their tribes, and even the southern kingdom of Judah with their good king Hezekiah was being starved out in Jerusalem and were under siege. And it seems to be the context here where this psalm, Psalm 80, was sung and prayed to God. And what was their repeated refrain? This is rather unusual. You get a refrain sometimes in the Psalms that shows up twice, but in this Psalm, it, it's three times. He says some version of, God of armies, restore us and make your face shine so we will be saved. This is what they longed for, was the right hand of God's blessing, the right hand of God's saving and restoring and and giving life. Do you know the feeling? Does it seem to you at times that God has brought down his left hand and brought it down hard? And for a long period of time, you faced sufferings that just don't seem deserving of a good citizen in the United States of America or, or someone who has eaten right and done most things pretty well. And still God afflicts your family with disease. Or, and still God allows injury to happen. Still God seems to bring in things that seem more like a curse than a blessing as if to punish you and to rage against you instead of support you and tend you with both hands like that right hand of blessing. I'm not sure who, who knows how many people this morning have this prayer Lord, restore us and make your face shine so we will be saved. Those who are longing for God's right hand of blessing. As if you too are a vineyard with walls broken down so anyone can pluck away at you so that wild animals of enemies can come in and just eat away at who you are and everything you try to accomplish in life. This is a frustrating psalm. It's in the context of deep frustration and lamentation and hardship, because it's almost like, okay, God, we get the point. Now bring in that right hand of blessing that I need so much. Well, that's why you're here, I assume, because you know you have some semblance of desire for what God's right hand has to bring, and what God gives in this one verse 17, let your hand rest on the man at your right hand, the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. It might be very difficult for a Christian to not see their Savior in that verse. Son of man, this was an Old Testament title for the, the one who was going to come, who was going to ascend into the clouds, who was going to receive the crown of glory higher than all the angels. This was, this was trained out in Daniel chapter 7. And it's, and it's a beautiful moment and it culminates in Jesus Christ's ascension. 
For these Jewish people in the southern kingdom, they were probably thinking of the king as their son of man. They wanted the good king, the king who would do all things right and make things right, be righteous, return them back to the true worship, reform everyone, get the idols out of the temple, banish you know, the, the sorcerers and the divination and witchcraft, and, and bring about true reform structure the, the Levitical laws like they ought to be, offer the sacrifices again, and, and bring back the shadow of the promise of the Christ to come. And they got a few good kings. Hezekiah came. He reformed things. He warded off the Assyrians. God brought them through it. And he prayed this prayer, this magnificent prayer, when, when the king of Assyria taunted him and God rescued them through that. And he prayed this other magnificent prayer and God gave him 15 years of extra life. But eventually, death came for even King Hezekiah. And that son of man couldn't undo sin and, and all the evil, all the idolatry that was in the kingdom. But our son of man could undo it. He took the throne of the cross and he was the living vine that gives life and vibrancy to every child of God. Jesus Christ stretched out both hands to bear our sin, and he lived again. He delivered us from sin, and he reigns at the right hand of God the Father, and today he draws near to you. In your time of suffering, God brings you his right hand. In your time of hardship, God speaks comfort and consolation. Another psalmist says, Psalm 94, in the multitude of my thoughts, when everything just multiplies and burdens me down, it's your consolations that restore me, O oh God. And this is what God says to you today. He says to you forgiven. He says to you redeemed. He says to you restored. But wait a minute. I still feel the left hand of God's punishment. Well, let's think about that. Sometimes that's independent and just based on sin in general, yes. But other times, you know what God's left hand is saying? God's left hand may have to do with the sin that you're trying to hide from him. God's left hand may have something to do with the sin that you're trying to keep and not offer up for forgiveness. And it will press you down and it will crush you and it will bring you to tears. And then you'll look at our church and you'll say, well, wait a minute, how come you aren't being forgiving by approving of our sin? That kind of thought maims God and seeks to have just a one-handed God, only his right hand as if the left hand doesn't work. But God needs to tend this vineyard with both hands. And it's going to take the left hand of his justice, his law, and his discipline to bring you to really appreciate and understand and trust his right hand and all that he has done as the Son of Man for you in Jesus Christ. So let it be perfectly clear. God condemns what he forgives. That is to say, God didn't put Jesus on the cross for nothing. He's condemned your sin with Jesus for an eternity that should have ended in death except for Jesus himself is life and love, and so he lived again. And so God doesn't approve of what he forgives. We Christians continually need to seek to put those sins away and bear the fruit of righteousness in our lives Keep fighting that battle. Keep rising to arms. With prayer, employ you. Bring in the sacraments. Bring in the word. And understand that it takes God's left hand to bring us to truly trust and appreciate his right hand. Because in that moment, in that moment when you offer that 
sin as a sacrifice on the altar along with the true Son of Man, Jesus Christ. There is God's right hand waiting for you, restoring you, and ready to do what he did for the true people, the true believers of Israel in sending the Christ. You see, with both hands, Jesus will change the world because he'll change the world for you and he will make a heaven, a heaven that's just waiting for all who put their trust in God. Both hands, great big hug for all the world from the cross in his name. Amen.